man I have the privilege to introduce to you this morning was the first one that I remember standing behind this pulpit and preaching once we moved into this building. And he has a lot of memories and he shared a lot of them with us earlier this morning. Now, there's some others that he could share probably in private that we need to remember. But Brother Tom Childers spent many years working here, several years working here in this congregation. And we owe a lot to his dedication for when we came out of the old building, which was a disaster after the fire, and we moved into this building. If you remember the uh, small communion table that's off to the side out in the foyer out there, he's the man that dug it out of the fire rubble over there and brought it over here and cleaned it up for us to have in this building. I don't want to waste any more of his time, so... This time I'd introduce you to Brother Tom Childers. For the last two or three weeks, I have been reliving night and day my days, my family's days here at Olive Branch. And I think it has been a good experience. Just like the story that Dio told about the communion table, I'd, I'd forgotten about that. I didn't even remember that. And oftentimes there are a lot of things that we do and they just pass by us. But this is a homecoming. And my vision of a homecoming is that what you do is you reflect back and you talk about things in times past. And so this morning we welcome each one of you. Those of you who are visiting with us, we're certainly glad that you are able to be with us. If you will turn to Deuteronomy the sixth chapter and we'll begin there in just a few moments. Uh, before we do that, I want to reflect a few moments about some other things that I remember about this congregation. What we're going to be talking about uh, this hour and the next hour in which I speak has to do with the seed principle. If you go into a grocery store, you will find two kinds of food. You'll find dead food and you'll find living food. I've actually taken dried beans off the shelf and planted them in my garden. And I can do that because they're still alive. They look dead, but they're still alive. Uh, you can take uh, potatoes and you can plant them and probably have a crop of potatoes. But you can't do that with potato chips. What we're talking about is the Word of God. And it is our work and responsibility to teach it and to live it. And so what we'll be talking about today is some of the things that we've been able to do simply because someone some, at some time came to this area and brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the hearts and the minds of the people. I was a little bit surprised as I went back through my logbook and saw some of the things that we did while we were here. And I say we, I'm not talking about just myself, I'm talking about the congregation. There were 43 baptisms in the four years I was here. There were 102 restorations. There were 14 funerals. Uh, some of these funerals might very well have been uh, outside of Olive Branch. The, those were not necessary to hear. The same with weddings. I had nine weddings. Of course, we moved into the new building. That's the thing that we remember. 
working hard together in order to, we did as much work as we possibly could to save money. And we worked, as I recall, almost every Saturday, basically cleaning up behind the carpenters and the workers here. One of the things that I recall that we got involved in that was of great benefit, I think, to many of us was that we started going to Sardis Lake Christian Camp. At that time, there were four weeks, and the week of the 4th of July was the weakest from the standpoint of the numbers. They would have 10 or 15. And so we got together with the congregation at South Haven, and we got volunteers from here, and we went the first year, and I think we had 70 or 80. And then the next year, I think we had over 100. So I'm very well pleased with the response that that took place because I firsthand know the power that can be brought upon the lives of young people, especially in those four or five days. One of the things that we did that uh, Carol made the comment, she said, this actually put the church on the map. When, I, when we moved here, kind of the talk throughout the community was, the only folks that do anything are this, this church across town. The Church of Christ is not noted for doing very much, if anything. Well, we decided to start a Thursday school, a Mother's Day out. And we basically just taught the Bible like we did on Sunday morning. And there were other things that we added to that. For instance, I would bring the young people in and sit them on a pew. Some of them never been in a church building in their lives. And I would teach them how to sit on a pew, how to sing together, how to behave. And uh, we had to stop advertising because we had 70, and these were people, the young people that were about a year old up to four or five years old. We had 70 and we had a waiting list. And on one Sunday night after our service, we had a graduation. And this building was nearly filled with the parents and grandparents who came that evening. I had the opportunity of teaching one uh, year at the uh, Memphis School of Preaching. Also had the opportunity of uh, attending my graduate work at uh, the graduate school in Memphis. So these were some good days. These were some exciting days. They were days in which we had our struggles, but we worked together, we played together. There were a lot of things I feel like that we accomplished. And I'm grateful that I can look back and think about the part that I played in this. But I suppose what is most rewarding is to look at the church here at this place today. We're grateful for the next generation, the other folks that have come in and picked up the work and carried on. And so let's study our Bibles together and talk about how we're gonna make sure that our children and our grandchildren remain faithful to the Lord and then a generation beyond that. Moses is an older person. Moses knows that he doesn't have very long to live, but he's given the task to address his people and he is going to give us the second law he gives us the book of Deuteronomy. This is written to that generation of young people that left Egypt under 20 years old. 
They have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and now those 20-year-olds are 60-year-old. Time has a way of marching on. And Moses gives them instruction. He gives them the law of the second time. And he says, that basically, now you're going to go over into this land. It's going to be a land that flows with milk and honey. You're going to be able to see things with your eyes that you've never seen before. You're going to have things that you never dreamed possible. But when you, whenever you get over into that land, one of the things that I do not want you to do is I do not want you to become involved in the material possessions to the point that you forget your God. But rather, here's what I want you to do. I want you, first of all, to make sure you observe everything that's said in those five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I want you to have them in your heart. I want you to look at them and read them. And I want you to live them. And I want you to teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Because when you get over there, there's going to be a challenge. And the challenge is you're going to forget who God is. And when you forget, you're not going to teach your children and you're not going to teach your grandchildren. And it's not going to be good with them. That's a paraphrase of what we're going to be reading. Notice, if you will, what he says in Deuteronomy 6 and 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewed out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, beware. Watch out. And guess what? You know, you know who we are? 
We are the people that live in the land that flows with milk and honey. If you don't believe it, look at the houses we live in. Look at the cars we drive. Look at the clothes that we wear. You say that's a good thing. Yes, it's a good thing, but it's also a dangerous thing because Moses said you better watch out. Why? Beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him and Manasseh. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And, he, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it might be well with you, that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swear to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in the time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statues, the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed us signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all of his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the commandment and the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he may preserve us alive as it is today. Then it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And if you know the rest of the story, you know what the children of Israel did who heard these words. They forgot the God that delivered them. They got involved in material possessions. They got involved in doing their own things. They didn't teach their children and their grandchildren. And here are people who grew up. And what did they do? They began to worship idols. And you read the book of Judges and you see what takes place. You see what a terrible situation they find themselves in and all the heartache and all the pain that they suffer is because they failed to do the very thing that Moses said here. He said, first of all, you've got to read your Bible. And that Bible has to go in your ear and it has to be in your heart. And then whenever it is in your heart, you have a license to teach your children. Many people want to teach their children and say, this is what you ought to do, but then they go and do the very opposite. And they're doing more damage than they are good because our young people can spot a hypocrite a mile away. 
What Moses said is, if you want to make an impact on the next generation, even to the third generation, to your grandchildren, the word of God has got to be in your heart and you're going to have to live it and you cannot get bogged down by things that will distract you and will lead you astray and cause you to forget your God. Now that is taught in the Old Testament. Let's turn now to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5 and notice what is said by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5. Paul is writing to Timothy and he's reminding Timothy of his heritage. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now I want you to notice that expression. It's inside of you. It's not like a necktie that you put on and wear to services. It's something that is there all the time, 24-7. He says, Timothy, I want to remind you of what was on the inside of you. There was a faith on the inside of you. And that's the very words that Moses says to his people. The word of God has to be in your heart and then you can teach it. So listen to what he says. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I am persuaded is in you also. So what do you have here? You have three generations. You have a grandmother, Lois, and she has a little girl. And so what do you do with the little girls? What do you do with any small children? What did we do at Olive Branch when we had those 70 small children here? We taught them the Word of God. The very first thing that the Crater Roll teaches a baby is hand them a a Bible and say, Pat, the Bible. Little children that can't even talk and can't even walk can hold a Bible and they can pat that Bible. When we had Thursday school here, the parents who had their children here could not even drive by this building. Why? Because those small children, two and three years old, would start crying and want to come to school here. And whenever we had vacation Bible school, there might be other churches that would have vacation Bible school at the same time. Sometimes we thought they planned it that way. But you know what people said here? We're members of this church over here and they're having vacation Bible school, but we're gonna send our children here at Olive Branch because at Olive Branch they are teaching those small children the Bible. There are people who still want their children taught the Bible because they know that it will be well with them if they love and respect that word. One of the things about growing older and having grandchildren, Carol and I have seven grandchildren all the way from 23 down to two years. And being a preacher, one of the privileges that I've had is one day a week, I have for a number of years been a stay-at-home granddad. You've heard of stay-at-home mothers, haven't you? I'm a stay-at-home granddad, and I have one grandchild, and I take care of that grandchild all day long. 
Now, tomorrow I may have trouble with my back, but uh, that's usually the case. But I take care of that baby, that small child. And guess who loves more than anybody else? Even more than their mother and daddies. You know, one of the greatest rewards in, in life is being able to spend time with children. Some people don't have time for them. Jesus did. And if we're going to be like Jesus, that's what we're going to have to do. So we read in the Bible about a woman. She has a little girl. Little girls don't stay little girls forever. They grow up and they marry. And then they have children of their own. And guess what? You are now a grandmother. So what did the mother do? She taught Eunice the Bible. And then whenever Eunice had her baby, then you had two mothers. You had the grandmother and your mother, and they both are teaching Timothy. Let me ask you a question. Of all the people that Paul loved respect, who did he love and respect more than Timothy? Now, did, how did Timothy get that way? Was he just born that way? Did he just get up one day and say, I'm going to be like that? No, he had two mothers, a mother and a grandmother that were molding and cultivating him. Let me ask you another question. Do we need any Timothys today? In this land of ours that is so divided and so much meanness that's going on, do we need some Timothys today? Well, if you're going to plant some potatoes, you're going to have to go out and get the potato seed. If you want to have some peas in your garden, you've got to go out and get some seed or save your seed and plant it. And if you're going to have some Timothys, you've got to take the seed, which is the Word of God. And it has to be in your head. You've got to believe it. You've got to love it. You've got to apply it to your life. And then when you do that, you have a license to teach a child or a grandchild. Paul says that's the way it works. It's got to be in you. It's got to be a part of you. You've got to believe it and you've got to practice it. Then look at the third chapter beginning with verse 14. We learn something about else about Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and had been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood, and the word there is actually a baby, a baby that you hold in your arms, that from my childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly, or thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then it, let's notice just for a moment Titus, the second chapter. Titus 2, Paul is giving instruction here to the older women. And I want you to notice the same, same thing that you have in the Old Testament that Moses, through God through Moses, said to do to preserve the next generation is the very same thing that Paul said that his mother and his grandmother did 
Notice here, this is the church made up of the older women. And older women, here's what I want you to do, Paul says, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Notice again, he starts with the person. To be someone that is effective in sowing the seed, you have to set the example. You have to live the life yourself. You have to show people that you mean business. You have to show them that the gospel of Jesus Christ can make a difference in your life and then you can make a difference in others' lives. And so he says in verse four that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. And again, I ask you the question, do we need today Do we need today mothers who love their children? Our youngest grandchild is adopted, two years old. But her biological father wanted her aborted. Is that God's plan? Is that what we need today? We need mothers who really love their children. We need wives who really love their husbands. Do you think if people took the Bible and read the Bible and followed the Bible that they would be better fathers and mothers, husbands and wives? Most assuredly. That's the reason we're here today. We're here today to sow the seed of the kingdom. We're here today to make the, a difference in the lives of people. We're here today to acknowledge that the Word of God is quick and powerful, and it is through the Word of God that we are saved. It is through the Word of God that we are stronger. It is through the God, Word of God that we overcome the evil one. So the challenge before us is to read and study the Word of God. I had a picture on the screen. I want to tell you about him. His name was W.G. Pemberton. And I want to use him as an example of how sowing the seed, just the seed principle works. We don't really know where Mr. Pemberton was from, maybe New York. He was a traveler. But he was a very talented person. He was an artist. The home that he built and the, the artwork he put inside made, in Alabama, it made the list of places to go see. He ended up in Winfield, Alabama. But the problem was he was an alcoholic and a drug addict. Not only him, but his wife as well. One day, Brother Gus Nichols saw him painting a sign on the side of a store. I think it was a Coca-Cola sign. And Brother Gus Nichols, a gospel preacher, asked him, can you paint on cloth, bed sheets? Can you paint chart sermons? He said, I can paint on anything. Here's this man, an unbeliever, an alcoholic, and a drug addict. He has to sober up, but what they do is he puts that bed sheet on quilting frames. And in the summertime, they got out under the shade tree 
Brother Nichols had drawn out for him what he wanted him to pay. And so Mr. and Mrs. Pemberton worked together. He looked at what Brother Nichols had drawn out, and Brother Nichols would have a scripture beside it. So he had his wife to look up the scripture and read it to him. He wanted to make sure what it said over here was the very thing that the verse was referring to. Hundreds of charts he painted that way. He had paid, his wife would read the passage of scripture. He had paid, his wife would read the passage of scripture. One evening, many years later, Mr. Pemberton knocked on the door of a gospel preacher in Winfield, Alabama. And he said, I'm in trouble. He said, I have painted enough of those signs I've read enough scripture to know that the Bible says I have to be a believer in Jesus Christ, that I have to repent, which means I have to change my life, change my thinking, and I have to be baptized for the remission of my sins. That man became a Christian that night. He went on to become a gospel preacher. He went on to establish congregations in Winfield and also in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. How did he start? Not by listening to Alexander Campbell, not by listening to a commentary, not listening to a preacher. How did he learn the truth? He read this book. That's all it takes is to read and believe this book and put it into practice and every opportunity you have, if it's with your children or grandchildren, whoever it is, try to make impression on them to serve the Lord with all of their hearts. This is God's word. And the Bible makes this promise to us. If you will believe it and if you will live it, I will bless you every day of your life. Every problem, every care you have, every trouble, I will help you bear it. I will help you see it through. But if you turn away from this book, you do what you want to do. You ignore me. You don't read this book. You don't try to live it. It will never be well with you. God has never blessed anybody who refuses to serve him faithfully. But on the other hand, if you serve the Lord with all of your heart, he's promised to be with you there day and night. And he says, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. So my challenge to you this morning is, let's believe the word of God with all of our hearts. To the best of our ability, let's practice it. Let people see the light of the world shining in us. And let's do everything we can do to make sure that 50 years from now, 100 years from now, when people come back for homecoming at Olive Branch, maybe they'll think about us. And they will think of us as people who were faithful to the Lord. If that happens, all of our struggles and all of our heartaches and all of our pains will all be worthwhile. If you need to respond to the invitation of Christ this morning, we invite you. If you need the prayers of the church, we're here to help you and to pray for you. Just let us know while together we stand and sing.